Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn to two places, Genesis chapter 3 and Isaiah chapter 53. Again, that's Genesis 3 and Isaiah 53. If you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you, uh, you can get one at the information table. Uh, bring your Bible along with you, make notes in it, highlight things, circle things, because it is absolutely life-changing, and uh, you will want to get notes in there and make that Bible your own, mark it all up. Uh, and today, we're going to continue in our series called Fearless, and the whole idea behind it is that we live in a world that has a lot of fear in it. This is a time where it's easy to look at everything going around uh, and be able to say, man, we are weak, we are powerless, it's scary. God, where are you in all of this? But that's not the call of God on the church. We're called to be those who speak peace. We're supposed to be those who walk in power into the situations where fear is dominating. We're supposed to be those who are fearless. And A.W. Tozer said it so well, what a scared world needs is a fearless church. God has a call on your life. There are things you were created to do in Christ Jesus before the foundations of the earth were laid. There are kingdom things. There are people that God has sent you to to bring uh, reconciliation and to bring freedom to them, to tell them how great God's love is for them. But too many times we let fears hold us back and keep us from walking into those things. So we have to be a people who get rid of the fears that are keeping us from living out the fullness of everything that God's called us to. Last week, we talked about the fear of failure. We started out by saying that you will fail. And today, we're going to be even more uplifting, and I'm going to make this statement, you will be rejected. How's that for your best life now? <laughs> now, if you're new here, this will get better. But it's important that we understand as we begin today that you will be rejected. And rejection hurts. And the reason why rejection hurts so much is because of the way that the human brain processes it. You see, what neuroscientists have discovered is that when they imaged the brain and saw how people responded to different stimuli, the area of the brain that processes physical pain is the same area that processes rejection. So rejection actually hurts. It is like a physical pain that you feel inside of yourself when you are rejected. And one of the greatest experiences, one of the greatest feelings that we can have in life is this experience of rejection. You guys probably have tons of memories of different times in your life where you experience this. Uh, the first time I can remember rejection is in preschool. I was four years old, and growing up out in the country, uh, away from civilization, I, didn't, I wasn't exposed to a lot of people. I just had my sisters and I and my parents. And so on my first day of preschool, I remember my mom telling me, hey, it's going to be great. You're going to go there. You're going to make all kinds of friends. And so I'm excited about that. You know, like my parents conned me into thinking school is going to be really fun. And so I go there, and the first kid I see, I'm like, hey, do you want to be my friend? And he says, no. I'm like, all right, this is great. I feel rejected because I thought I'm not good enough to be this person's friend. I'm not acceptable or I'm not likable to someone else. And then that continued. I eventually made a couple of friends, and uh, that was great, had a lot of fun. But then we got into middle school, maybe that eighth or ninth grade range, and they started getting into partying. And there is nothing that kills a party like having the kid there that's like, no, I'm not going to drink or smoke weed. That's what bad kids do. <laughs> so you can imagine how many parties I got invited to after that experience. And they, I remember my friend, he's like, Germ, I want you to come to my party, but you, you have to drink with us or else you can't come because we all feel bad if you don't. And I'm like, okay, now I'm faced with a situation. If I have to decide if I want to be accepted by my friends, I'm going to have to modify my core beliefs and values. I'm going to have to change who I am so that I can be acceptable to them. And I chose not to. 
And once again, I experienced a sense of rejection as all of my friends continued to get together like always, but without inviting me to any of those experiences. I remember uh, the rejection the first time of having a crush on a girl, fourth grade. And it was, you know, I pretended like girls had cooties, but something inside of me was like, oh my gosh. And so I remember I worked up the courage one day on the soccer field in fourth grade to ask this girl out. And I don't know where we were going to go out to because I couldn't drive and I had no money. But we were going to go out. And so I worked up the, ner- worked up the courage. And I'm like, hey, Gina, I was wondering if maybe you'd go out with me. And she just like looked straight ahead the whole time and never acknowledged it. <laughs> and I realized getting friend zoned in fourth grade, I was like, wow, she didn't even say no. She just pretended like I didn't even exist. And so you can imagine how that made me feel any time I wanted to express my feelings to a woman again after that. So here I am, uh, how old? I think I was 21, 22, when I asked Anna out. And so I'm filled with all this anxiety because I'm thinking, she's going to say no to me. She's going to look straight ahead. She's not going to acknowledge it. I'm going to get friend-zoned for life. And it's going to ruin the relationship that I have with her because I'm not boyfriend material. Like I'm not good enough or acceptable enough to receive love from other people. Thankfully, I worked up the courage, and I blurted out, I have a real big crush on you. And uh, she had a crush on me, too, so everything worked out. And I'm glad I never had to do that again. (laughs) (laughs) But we've all had a rejection related to a romantic interest that then gave us some sort of an identity or a fear inside of us about continuing to ask people out or express our love. And it maybe made us feel like we weren't lovable. And then I remember getting fired from a job. A job that I loved. I quit a job to come take this job for significantly less pay. And I was like, I just believe in the vision of this place and what they're doing. And I poured my heart and my soul into it. And I was all in. And I like, I'm going to be here for the long term. We're going to see God do amazing things here. All excited. And then one day they take me out to lunch and tell me that I won't be there for the long term. And I said, oh, you know what, that's great. Hey, you know what, I'm sorry that I I wasn't able to fulfill the job in the way that you wanted me to. I don't want to hinder anything you guys are doing. It's all cool. Don't worry about it. And uh, then I went and got in my car, and I cried. And I thought, how am I going to tell Anna that I wasn't good enough at my job? I'm going to tell my family that this job that I've been telling them how much I love and and how great this place is and how it's going to change the world, how am I going to tell them that I got fired from that because I wasn't good enough? You want to know how that made me feel going into other job interviews and trying to figure out where it was that I was going to be able to to pour my life into something? Because I thought, I'm not good enough to be accepted in the areas that God has gifted me. And I thought I'd finally grown up and I was really mature now as as a a Christian and I'm past all these silly fears. And then I started a church. And I figured out that I was not past all of those things. Because there was nothing in my whole life outside of my marriage and my family, that I have poured myself out into than starting this church. I mean, it's been my literal blood, sweat, and tears have gone into this. My heart has been put into this place. And it's not for me. It's not so I can get rich quick. So if that's it, I am failing miserably. It's not so I can be incredibly popular or whatever else, or I can wear pastor t-shirts and stuff with little embroideries on them. I did it because I wanted to see Jesus glorified. I wanted to see people ministered to and saved and set free and delivered. And I remember when I got that first email from a couple after they'd been over to our house. They'd been coming to the church, and then they, you know, they liked it and everything, and then they came to our house and had dinner with us, and uh, I think they didn't like that as much because then the next week they sent the email that said, hey, we're going to go to a different church now. And I was like, hey, that's great. You know, I just want you to be plugged in somewhere in the kingdom, like we always say. 
And, uh, you know, doors open for you. And then I just cried. And I told Anne, I was like, I'm a failure at this. Because I felt like I had been rejected by them. And every time, and this is what pastors don't say, is every time, like, someone's like, hey, you know what? We're just going to go somewhere else. We're like, hey, that's great. But it feels like you just got fired. And, and I don't, like, don't be scared. I'm not going to track you down. Hey, you, where have you been? Don't fire me. But I'm just being like, even everybody struggles with different areas of rejection inside of their life. And when you feel like you've been rejected in the ministry call that God has for you, that can be a powerful rejection that can stir up fear inside of you. And I could go on and on for more Sundays than there will be before Jesus returns about the different areas that I've failed and I've been rejected in. And every one of you probably could too. Maybe it was in your marriage where you just poured yourself out into it and you wanted God to be glorified in your marriage and you wanted to be with this person for the rest of their life but it broke down somewhere and somehow and now you're struggling with rejection because maybe a relationship that was romantic or a marriage fell apart and now you feel like you're not good enough to be loved, that you're not worthy of someone else's love, that no one could ever love you again. Maybe it's inside of your family. Maybe it's with one of your parents that you felt rejected by them and that you weren't worthy of their love and affection. Maybe it was you as a as a parent, and you've watched your children walk away from the Lord, or that they've rejected you, or a sibling that you haven't talked to in years. Maybe it's something with a job for you, where, like me, you thought you were going to be somewhere for a really long time, and then you ended up getting fired from that job, and you don't know how you're going to tell your friends and your families. You don't know how it is that you're going to provide for those that God has entrusted you with. Maybe it's with a friend, and you feel like now you're not worthy of being someone else's friend. Every single one of us have been rejected. And every single one of us are going to struggle with a fear of rejection at some point in our lives. And the reason why we struggle in this area is because we find identity and value in the relationships we have with other people because we were created for relationships. We're all created in the image of God. This is, when we read the Bible, that's one of the first things that we find out about ourselves is that God has created us in his image. And God himself has always existed in community. He's always existed in relationship. And this is what we call, he's a triune God. He's one God, but eternally existent in three persons of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's never just been one person existing and then waiting for us to come into existence. God has always existed within relationship. And so if we're created in the image of God, then we have to exist inside of relationship as well. And so when you feel rejected, what's happening is it's going against the core of who you were created to be. You cannot be healthy emotionally, spiritually, or even physically if you aren't existing inside of healthy relationships. I have a niece who was adopted out of the foster care system. And it's one of the horror stories that you hear of. She was two years old in her entire life. She had just been left in a room in the house by herself. And the, the uh, uh, foster parents just lived on the other side of the house. They just put bottles in there. She didn't know how to do anything. She couldn't move. She couldn't stand up. She couldn't walk. They just collected the paycheck and just kept her alive. And when they found out what was happening, they took her away. And they took her to my sister's home. And she was diagnosed with failure to thrive. She was so far behind everybody else her age and they thought that she'd probably never recover and that she would always have serious uh, issues and development and that she would never be what we would consider normal. And it was all because of the fact that she had been deprived of relationships. You can't be physically, emotionally, 
or spiritually healthy if you don't have healthy relationships around you. And she was brought into my sister's home where she was loved by a mom and dad who loved her. She was told of how much Jesus loved her. I remember she, when they would read the children's storybook Bible to her, she would just listen and listen and listen. And they'd tell her how much Jesus loves her. And they would tell her how much they love her. And they would take care of her. They would invest in her, play with her. And uh, her brothers and sisters that would come around side of her. And now you look at her and there's, you would never guess. And the doctors are amazed. And the difference was that she went from a place where she was completely isolated, separated, without relationship, into a place where she was surrounded by healthy relationships. And now she is a healthy young girl. It's really a miracle what God's done in her. So if we all need healthy relationships to exist to be healthy ourselves, then why is it that it's so hard for us to find healthy relationships? Why is it so hard to maintain them? Why is it that we continue to sense rejection so much on this earth? And that all goes back to the devastating aspects of the fall. One of the most devastating things that happened in the fall was the brokenness of relationships that we have with God and with each other. And it says this in Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 through 13. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. What a great line. <laughs> and recorded for all history to see. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me. Now before this scenario, the only perfect relationship, the only perfect marriage that has ever existed in all of history was there. It was perfect. There was no fighting, there was no insecurities, there was no brokenness. It was perfect relationship with each other and with God. There was no guilt, there was no shame, there was no isolation. It was just perfect unity that they had. But then sin, sin enters into the equation and immediately what you see is brokenness of relationship. They hide from God. Adam starts blaming his wife for the things that he did. From perfect unity to complete brokenness that quickly. And what happens is sin interjects three things into our relationships. And the first thing is shame. It says that they were naked. Now they've been naked the whole time. They were created naked, they've been living naked, everything they have done has been naked. But then it's at this moment that they have this revelation of shame regarding their nakedness. I remember one time when I was a kid, I had this real fiery, coppery colored hair, and I thought it was pretty cool. And then I remember one kid telling me, like, your hair looks funny. And I was like, what? Like, I've had this hair forever. I never thought there was anything wrong with it until you just pointed that out to me, and now I'm really insecure about my hair. And that's what happened with Adam and Eve. They had always been naked, but now they felt shame about who they were. And that's what happens to us. Is I remember another time someone said, you have a big nose. And I was like, 
what? Like, I've seen it all these years, and I never even realized. I never felt any shame about the size of my nose, but now I do because someone pointed it out to me and rejected me because of this. And what will happen is when someone rejects you, it's usually attributed to something about you, whether it's a characteristic, uh, like it could be hair, your nose, your skin color, it could be your stature, your shape, your political beliefs, it could be any number of things and someone will reject you because of it, and now you start to feel bad about it when you were perfectly okay with it before. And that shame will then lead you to something else, which is isolation. Because of the shame that Adam and Eve felt, it says that they went and they hid in the trees. It says that God comes looking for them. They hear him coming. Now, this must have been a part of their daily routine. It says, when God came to walk in the garden in the cool of the day. That must be a part of, I mean, imagine how incredible this is. Every day, God comes down and he takes a walk with you. Why would you run away and why would you hide from that? That'd be the best. I would give anything in my entire life to be able to have that encounter. That was what they were used to. It was what they knew. It was the way that they were created to be. But then shame related to sin, caused them to run from the presence of God and to try to hide from him. Now, what they should have done is recognizing their sin, recognizing there was something wrong with them, they should have run to the presence of God to beg for forgiveness and to repent and say, God, restore me. That's what every single one of us needs to do. When we have shame that comes to us from some sin in our life, we should run to God and say, God, forgive me of this. Forgive me of this sin. Restore me relationally to you. Remove this shame from me so I don't have to live with this weight in my life anymore. But the natural reaction for us is to run and to hide in the trees. We want to isolate ourselves. We do it from God. And how many times, I can't, I mean, as a pastor, it's mind-blowing to me, is someone to say, you know, I, I just didn't want to come to church because my life has been really rough and I've been struggling with a sin issue, whatever. I'm like, man, you need to get to church more than ever. Don't run from the presence of God. Like, I, I don't pray much. I don't read my Bible because I'm not really following the Lord very closely right now and it, it just feels weird doing that. I'm like, no, you need to run to the presence of God. Isolation is the absolute worst thing for you. You need the presence of God in your life. Never run and never hide from it, but that's the natural instinct inside every one of us as fallen beings is we sense some sort of shame in our lives, and so we run and we try to hide from the presence of God. That's not a good plan. I mean, God still knew he was hiding in the trees. He's like, hey, Adam, were you hiding in those trees? God knows where you are. David wrote, where can I go to escape the presence of God? I get the highest of heights to the lowest of lows. There is nowhere that I can go where I can escape the presence of God. And thank God for that. So stop running and trying to get away from the presence of God. Run to the presence of God so that he can heal you and make you whole once again. But we do the same thing in relationships with other people. When you sense some rejection from someone, what you do is to protect yourself and keep yourself from being hurt again is you run away. You try to isolate yourself so that way no one can hurt you. You see it all the time when people, when a friendship goes bad, there's been some hurt or some offense that's occurred inside of it. People feel unlovable and so they go and they separate themselves from other people. They don't ever want to let anybody in again so that way they can never be hurt. When someone's rejected in, in some dream that they had that they were trying to pursue, they decide, I'm never going to dream again because I don't want to be rejected again because it's too hard for me. 
and so they isolate themselves. Over and over again, there's probably an area in your life right now that the Lord can highlight to you of where there was some rejection that occurred. And so instead of running to the presence of God, instead of continuing to run to the presence of other people who can encourage you and uplift you and support you through it, you say, I just want to be alone. I just want to be by myself. It's easier for me this way, and it's safer for me this way. Because what a fear of rejection will do in you is it will cause you to think that every person is going to be rejecting you because of how flawed you are, because of how messed up you are, or because of just the natural meanness and cruelness that you find in other people. A fear of rejection will lead you to a lifetime of being unhealthy because you're going to put your place in a s- yourself in a place where you will never have healthy relationships. And as long as you remain isolated, you will never have the joy in your life that you were created to have. You will never have the community in your life that you were created to have. You'll never be healthy, and you'll never be able to follow God's call on your life to the thing that he created you for because you will be scared of the rejection that might come along with that call. And the third thing that sin introduces into us is masks. What they do is because of their shame, they create fig leaves to put over themselves to try to hide their shame. You know, actually, the word hypocrisy, it comes from a Greek word that means uh, what the actors would do is they would create a mask and they would put that over their face to conceal who it was that they really were and to give off the image of something else. That's what hypocrisy is. It's putting on a mask that covers up who you really are, how messed up you are, the flaws that you have, the inadequacies that you have inside of your life, and it tries to project something to the world different than who you really are. And we've all done that. We've all been hypocrites. We like to get mad at other people because of their hypocrisy, all the while pretending like we're people who are different than who we really are on the inside. We put on that mask, we cover up our issues, and we project a false image of who we are. And these things will destroy our relationship with God and with people, and Satan will use a fear of rejection to keep us so much full of shame, so isolated and so unhealthy and so hypocritical that we can never be real, that we can never go after what it is that God's called us to. And the antidote to the fear of rejection is the realization of God's acceptance of you. And that's what it all comes down to. You see, I know that my children are going to be rejected by others. They're four and they're two. So already I've seen uh, my four-year-old go through some rejection at playgrounds and stuff like that. And I know that my daughter will be rejected at some point. I'm not sure if she'll realize she's being rejected or not because she's so strong. But they are going to go through rejection in their life. And so this is what I do as a parent, is every night after I I pray with my kids and I put them in bed, I tell them, I say, hey, what did I tell you to always remember and never forget? And they both say the same thing. I want to hear you say it again. And so I lean down into their ear and I whisper into their ear, I love you and I will always love you because you're my son or because you're my daughter. I love you when you're acting good. I love you when you're acting bad. I love you when you're happy. I love you when you're sad. I love you when you're silly, and I love you when you're mad. I will always love you because you will always be my son or my daughter. And they get this goofy smile on their faces. And the reason I do that is because I want them to receive an identity. 
And every night I tell him, too, I was like, you're so smart. You're so beautiful. You're so helpful. You're such a good friend. And I tell them all these things not to build up their heads and to make them unbearable for the rest of society. But I do this because there's going to be other dumb kids that come along and tell them that they're stupid. There's going to be other dumb kids that come along and tell them that they're ugly, that they're not worth being a friend to, that they're not lovable, that they're a failure, that they have to change who they are to be accepted. And they're going to begin to question whether they really are loved. And I want them to have such an identity that comes from Anna and I and from God that when they hear a bully say those things, it seems laughably stupid to them. It seems like the biggest lie they've ever heard in their entire life. Every single day I do that to my children because I think it's that important. Even if the world around them rejects them, they won't care because they'll know how much their mom and dad love them. And we're worth a lot more than any bully. What we think means a lot more than what anybody else thinks. And it's the same way for us. The way that you're going to overcome the fear of rejection in your life is when you get a revelation of how much God loves you and how accepted you are by Him. Not dependent upon your behavior, not dependent upon how you feel, not even dependent upon your obedience. Fully dependent on who you are in relationship to Him. You're a son your daughter, and the Father's love will never be revoked to you. So how much does God love us? I think if we want to get a revelation of God's love for us, we look at Isaiah chapter 53 and see this is why Jesus came. And it says in Isaiah 53, he, came bef- he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, He was taken away from us. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence nor any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, He will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant may justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. 
for he bore the sin of many, and he made intercession for the transgressors. You see, what God is saying in this, and what we see about Jesus through this prophecy in Isaiah 53, is that Jesus removes your shame. That shame that was interjected into our relationships through sin has been removed from us by Jesus on the cross. You see, every one of us, we are separated from God. There are things that we should feel shameful about. I, the life that I lived before I knew Jesus was not a good life. I did bad things, shameful things, things that separated me from God and things that separated me from the call of God on my life and things that separated me from the people that were around me. And it says that Jesus came for the reason of taking on my sin, my transgressions, all of the ways that I've rejected God, all of the ways that I've rebelled against him and harmed other people. Every sin that I ever committed was put on Jesus on the cross and it was removed from me. I don't have to feel shame anymore because all of the things that I'm guilty of have been removed from me and the price for them has been paid through the death of Jesus on the cross. His blood washed away my sin. And I don't have to run from God anymore because of what he has done through Christ Jesus. The shame and the guilt has been removed from me. I am a son of the living God now, and you are a daughter of the living God if you've made that decision to follow Jesus. All that shame is gone from you now. Don't hold on to it. Don't continue to live in the shame that Jesus poured his blood out to remove from you. And then he also removed your isolation. See, when we were, before we made that decision to follow Jesus, we were hiding in the trees. We were far from God. We were separated from him. And he didn't call to us from the trees and say, get right and then get back up here. He came to the trees. He found us in the pit where we were hiding. He came and he sat down with us in that dirty place where we were. We don't serve a God who says you've got to get yourself right so that you can approach me. He approaches us in our filth, in our bondage, in our slavery, in our sin. He comes to us and he identifies with us. You see, it's not just that he forgave your sins. He identified with you. It says that he was despised, that he was rejected. He knows what it's like to feel how you feel right now. Every hurt, every suffering, every temptation, every form of rejection that you can have, he went through it. His family rejected him. That's not hard to believe. Most of our families have done that. Nobody believes that you're the son of God, including his own family. He was rejected by the religious elite who should have recognized him and accepted him. He was rejected by his own disciples. They fled and they left him. He was rejected by the creation that he spoke into being and that he came to love and to lay his life down for. He was despised by us. And he was nailed to a cross. He knows what it's like to go through what you're going through right now. And he's not calling you to make yourself right and come to him. He's come to you to identify with you. And he doesn't say change yourself says, let me change you. He doesn't say, get washed up. He says, let me wash you. He doesn't say, just be stronger. He says, let me be your strength. Don't create a new identity for yourself. Let me give you an identity. 
let me adopt you. You're gone. You were hiding from me. And I've come to bring you to my table as my son, as my daughter. And then Jesus removed your mask. He knows your heart. He knows every dirty thing about you. He knows everything that you try to hide from everyone else. And he doesn't reject you because of that. He doesn't say put on a better mask. He comes to take the mask off of you. To become the one who you can be open and vulnerable and honest with. That's why David prayed, search my heart and know me, God. Reveal if there's any wicked way within me. Because when we are honest and real with God, that's when we can be repentant. So I say, yeah, God, I'm, a, I'm basically a good person. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm better than most. Or God, don't, you don't want to know about this. God, you don't want to know about that. God knows every fallen, broken place in your life. And he loves you just the same. And he always will. Because what I've discovered is that this Christian life and following Jesus is continuing to remove more and more masks in my life. He continues to change who I am. He continues to put that identity on me. He continues to remake me and shape me into his image. Because what we need isn't to be the best us. We need to be the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're being remade into. So this is what I'm saying to you this morning. You don't have to fear rejection because Jesus loves you and accepts you. Right where you are, just as you are. And when you make that decision to follow Jesus, to repent of your sins, to turn away from the way that you've been living, to say, Jesus, you're going to be the Lord of my life now. The way I was living, it wasn't working. I give you control of my life. I'm going to be obedient to you now. And when you make that decision, he begins to change who you are. He breathes new life into you. You are a new creation. And he begins this lifelong process of making us more and more like him by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. And so this morning, if you've been struggling with the fear of rejection, whether it's rejection that you feel from God, that you think that he's rejecting you somehow, or whether it's rejection from other people, this morning you need that great revelation of God's love for you and that identity that he has for you. And the more you take that on, the less scared you will be to have of rejection. Because what anybody else says isn't going to matter. Because you already know what the Father says about you. And you've experienced his love and acceptance in your life. Let's pray this morning. Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts? Reveal to us if we've been living with a fear of rejection inside of us. God, if we've been living with shame, if we've been living in isolation, if we've been living with a mask on, and right now what I'm going to ask you to do is to raise your faith to believe what it is that God says about you and to make that decision and say, God, I'm going to believe what you say about me. 
and I'm going to reject everything else that anyone else says. Maybe this morning you've been far from God. Maybe this morning you've never made that decision to follow Jesus, to have that shame removed from you, to stop hiding, to stop living with masks. Maybe this morning you're hearing God call to you and say, you're my daughter, you're my son, and you want that new life, you want that acceptance, that love of God that recreates who you are. And this morning you make that decision to say, Jesus, from this day forward I follow you. Forgive me of my sins. I'm going to live in a new way now, the way that you call me to. I'm going to be obedient to you in everything you speak to me. I'm going to spend the rest of my life seeking you out in all the plans and all the purposes you have for my life. Send the Holy Spirit to me now. And for every one of us, God, I pray that every person here, whether they've been living with fear of rejection from other people, on their families, and their marriages, and their workplace, and the call that you've put on them, Jesus, I pray right now that you would break that chain that's over them, that no longer would they live with this fear, no longer would they live with the lie of the enemy that's been telling them they aren't acceptable, that they aren't lovable, that they aren't good enough, and that you would tell them just how loved every single person in this room is. God, that they would be overwhelmed by your love for them. God, waves of your love and your joy and your peace sweeping over this room, redefining who we are, new identity in Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This morning, we're going to continue to worship and just continue to allow God to speak to you who you are.